This is Couch and Coffee Table. I'm Michael Perry. And Heather Perry. And we're here once again together to talk a little bit about film. Uh, the first one up is we're going to talk about uh, the movie Coco, which we I had heard about in passing a uh, long time back and only recently during this past holiday season for the month of Halloween was able to actually mm-hmm. take a look at it and was very pleasantly surprised by it. I really liked this movie, and uh, we're going to be discussing Coco. Uh, we also are going to touch on a film called The Lighthouse with William Defoe and Robert Patterson. Uh, we are later on going to be discussing uh, the Halloween films and just kind of closing out for the Halloween season, as it were. Uh one of the things I want to mention is that if you haven't seen any of the Halloweens or you haven't seen Coco or you haven't seen The Lighthouse or any and all of the above, please, at this point, spoilers ahead. If you don't want the movies ruined or what have you, turn off your radio now. <laughs> so, Coco. I thought it was a very nice movie it was nicely well done it represented uh the culture very well from the opening uh credits of walt disney who did the film on through i i thought it was nice that usually when it comes on you see the castle and everything if you've seen a disney film you're familiar that you hear some restraints of when you wish upon a star with this what they started out with because it deals with the day of the dead and the culture that surrounds that. It starts out almost with a mariachi or Spanish feel of when you wish upon a star, which was nicely done, I thought. And it also helped kind of segue you into what you're getting ready to watch. It was a very, I liked it as well. It was a very good film. Um, The animation style is appealing. Uh, The vocal talent was really solid. Uh, there were some songs, but it wasn't your typical Disney Disney thing. Um, there were no white people, and that was lovely, because it, it is a story about a Mexican family and uh, what the Day of the Dead means to them, and to one of them particularly. Um, it wasn't there was no love interest, which was nice. There was no Disney princess, which was nice. Um, it kept us both guessing. Because we, we kept yeah. trying to call the plot. And yeah. for a children's movie, you know, a lot of times they're so simplistic and, and you can see what's coming 10 miles away and you end up just completely bored. But um, this threw us a few curveballs that were well scripted. The pacing was very good. Uh, I cried like a toddler at some points. <laughs> I almost did. And I will publicly say that because... There are moments where the storyline will tug at you. And has you by the feels. Yeah, it really good. does. But it's it's in a very good way. And I'm also quick to agree with you that it wasn't your stereotypical Disney because in the past, especially the far past, whenever, like back in the 50s and 60s, whenever Walt Disney was still alive, a lot of what you'd have is these characters on occasion would just burst into song Mm -hmm. and very much 
most Disney cartoons are musicals because the characters are walking along and then all of a sudden they just burst into song with a lot of the other Disney cartoons or cartoon characters. Mm-hmm. And then that everyone happens. Everyone knows the words. Yeah, everyone knows the words. Everybody knows what mm-hmm. he's going to sing. They've rehearsed this several times. Dance routine. You know. The most credible way I think this was ever done in a film, and I don't know that you'd agree with me or not, but um, I think it was MGM's uh, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. I thought that was done well, the the original Seven Brides for Seven Brothers, because going into it, you knew it was a musical, but they they tried to really Mm -hmm. sync up the song so that you had enough dialogue and music to move both along. And it's nice whenever you have that. I think they did that that particularly well, but we've seen yeah. some really awful examples. We've seen some awful <clears throat> examples of it. There are some that they're really good musicals mm-hmm. and they're good films, but they're, they're a little drawn out. There's a, yeah. there's a couple here and there for me that are a little bit drawn out and they don't need to be. Um, I would say uh, Fiddler on the Roof mm. towards the end mm-hmm. kind of winds a little bit. You you could probably chop 10 minutes out towards the end and it would still be okay. But I the, yeah. the film is good. Don't get me wrong. Uh, mm-hmm. South Pacific is like that as well. Oh, towards, it's been an age since I've seen that. that. That seemed to really drag for me the last time yeah. I sat down to watch it. Uh, another one that seemed to drag towards the end for me was My Fair Lady. Mm, it's been an age since I've seen that too. I still remember a lot of the songs though. Yeah, I mean the music for all of those is really good. Uh, I I would give a nod to some of the music out of South Pacific because a lot of it I'd heard, but I didn't know it was from South Pacific right. until I actually saw the movie and just went, "Oh, this is from okay." Mm-hmm. Um, I also want to give a nod because I. There is a piece in South Pacific that is a personal favorite of mine now, simply because the former guitarist from Fleetwood Mac, Lindsey Buckingham, did a version of it on his album, Out of the Cradle. It is just, he doesn't sing it. It's just an Mm -hmm. acoustic guitar, and he interpreted it brilliantly. I loved how he did that. And so... This nearly was mine. Okay. Yeah, and I'm not familiar enough with South Pacific to bring it to mind. That's gonna I'd be, be happy to play it for you at yes. some point because it's it's a really good piece. And so be. I've always found Lindsey mm-hmm. Buckingham to be a really brilliant guitarist. I think he's very underrated. Uh, so much with a lot of the musicians from Fleetwood Mac, sadly, everybody focuses more on the tabloid drama versus the musicianship of all five of them and that is very disappointing for me it's sad Hmm. because there's some really there's some really talented people in that group i digress though um we can't pass the moment by without recognizing the utterly fantastic musical number in monty python and the holy grail oh god yeah there's a certain special (laughs) something <laughs> no 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 yes yeah that that example is really good because he keeps on wanting to burst into for a split second oh, yeah. i thought you were going to talk about camelot uh 
Maybe. <laughs> Which that's also a bit a, a bit of a silly place. Yeah. A really a nice bit of brilliant piece of music. And you know, hats off to Eric Idle for a lot of the stuff he, he done because or has done, excuse me. I'm I'm thinking faster than I can speak and I need to slow down and think a little bit more. But I we also I hope I'm 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 all right with um putting you in with this, but I really like the end of Life of Brian with Always Look oh, yes. on the Bright Side of Life. Great song. Yes. As far as placement in a film, perfect. Mm-hmm. Perfect, I say. Uh, to summarize <laughs> briefly, yeah, as we've, yeah, been, we, we've been going we, off we, track we again. did. We went off the ra- uh, We went off the rails. Coco was recommended by our friend Paige, and uh, thank you for the recommendation because it was excellent. Um, I would I would give it a watch if you have children or if you don't have children. It uh, we just have cats and we enjoyed it immensely, uh, and would watch it again which was really, really nice. Absolutely. It it may become part of my regular uh, October rotation because it's mm-hmm. it's it's a really good story. And I I was moved by it in more ways than one. I I I was pleasantly surprised by it and wished that Disney had started doing more stories like that much sooner. It compares incredibly favorably to other Disney films that have gotten a lot more traffic and recognition. Uh, And I'm speaking of Frozen here because Frozen is not a well-developed story, uh, but it got so much airplay. Holy mm, yes. So (laughs) sorry, that was about to go off tangent. Um, Yeah. So I, I would definitely take Coco over Frozen. Now we had another film recommendation. Um, our friend Anne recommended The Lighthouse. Um, and this was something we'd seen a preview of in the theater before COVID. Yeah. It seems super creepy and super atmospheric. It had two very well-known actors as the leads. Um, it's filmed in a very gritty high resolution black and white film stock. Uh, there's an a- the particular aspect ratio the director chose. Yeah. That's unusual and creepy. Um, it made me super mad. <laughs> and I've done, I've done a lot of reading up on the film because I was so frustrated with it. But do you want to, do you want to start off? Cause I've, I could talk I, for a year on this stupid thing. All I can say is, is that I was vastly, disappointed by the film i like most of the stuff that i have seen william defoe in he i i think he's a really good actor i think he is another one of those that is underrated i think that if you give him the right amount of creativity and the right script he will shine immensely could win an award with a bazooka joe comic he really could. A lot of that is his delivery. I mean, yeah. there's there's so many different things that I've seen him in that I enjoy. Platoon he was in. Boondock Saints he mm-hmm. was in. He was the Green Goblin in the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie. He was... I forget which voice he was in Finding Nemo. Mm. But 
I couldn't tell you. I, and I, that's that's a disservice because I can't remember that. But he was also in Last Temptation of Christ. Yes. He was, um, oh, God. He's done so many things where he has left a memorable presence, even in Finding Nemo. <laughs> Even though you physically don't see him with his voice, was he the scarred angelfish? Yeah, okay. with the yeah, yeah. I forget the character yeah. name, but he's he's the fish in the dentist. Yeah, office and that, he's yeah. very even just with his voice, he carried that so well. And there are there are a handful of actors still in Hollywood that can do that just with their voice. They can carry such a presence and give such such grace to a character that may not other words mm -hmm. be able to have it. I don't mean to fanboy over William Defoe. <laughs> You're fine. I'm just, he, he's another one of those that's underrated that I think mm -hmm. it's disappointing to me because he's, yeah. he's really something else. He's definitely got his chops. To Robert be Patterson is um, actually a much better actor than some of his films have painted him. Um, I know, and I, I haven't seen that much of Robert Patterson, so I cannot give mm -hmm. as much a critique because I, since I haven't seen that much, I don't think it'd be fair to pass judgment off yeah. of this film or The Twilights or anything yeah. like that because I really haven't seen that much of The Twilights. <laughs> the biggest thing I remember him in was the <laughs> Harry Potter film. Right. He's... And based off of what I saw there, he can carry a film. Yeah. I just, I wish that I would have been able to interpret better what it was that they were telling. Uh, yeah. I've seen Patterson and the, the Harry Potter, I think were some of his debut performances. Yeah. yeah. And then I, I endured some of the twilight films, which the, the first one is basically a two hour perfume commercial. Um, so if you, if you go in with the intent to MST three K it, then it's fine. But if you actually, you're wanting a film with any substance, um, take a nap instead, and that will serve you better. But he did the best he could with a role that was, you know, hopefully he made a lot of money on it. That's all I can say about it. Uh, one of our cats is. It's okay. Behaving. It's okay. Catish. Um, so he does a very good job in this film. Um, it's, it's a well-filmed, well-crafted film um the sets are incredibly well built the the sense of placement in the film world is very solid uh the acting is superb it's just i don't know how long it is it's it's roughly five years of my life um and you've got you've got two unreliable narrator characters who are rather unlikable there's um there's a lot of dick so like you don't see dick but there are a lot of dick symbolism symbolisms in the film uh where, where we've got a lighthouse and boy howdy um <laughs> phallic symbols in other words yes phallic uh, symbols the directors and and if you google this film the director will will say and the writers will say 10 million times that they were doing a take on a Promethean and a Protean mythos. Um, so I, I don't honestly, I can't really speak to that because I didn't really see it. 
Um, if that's what they were going for, either they were so heavy handed that it was too obvious and I missed it, or it was so subtle that it was too obvious and I missed it. And, and walking through, you know, articles online and people's reactions and what the, what the director and writers themselves have to say about it. Going back, you can kind of look at the film and go, aha, I see this thing here was meant to symbolize that other thing there. But if I have to do that much work to understand a film, I really hesitate to call it a good film um, because I didn't like either of these characters. It was very hard for me to, to get drawn into the story or to want some kind of positive resolution. Um, the weirdness wasn't weird enough for me to rate like, ah, yes, this is a science fiction film or, oh, okay. Okay. This is a horror film or aha, I see a tentacle. We're doing a Lovecraft thing. Uh, there wasn't enough of that otherworldly element for me to put the film solidly in that category. Um, but there was too much of otherworldly things for me just to think of this as uh, a cabin fever piece about two men trapped in a situation where they're isolated and there's a lot of very confused and fraught feelings going on between them. Um, so when we, when we first watched it, I, I was very angry about having seen it. And my first reaction was just absolutely no. And in the uh, intervening months or weeks or however long weeks. it's been, weeks. <laughs> Uh, my sense of time is a little off. <laughs> um, in the intervening time, I've, I've read a lot of things about it. And so I feel like I, I could talk more about some of the symbolism the, the cast and crew were trying to inject in the film. But I, I don't know that I, I believe that that's what translated when watching the film. Uh, so if you're curious, maybe, I don't know, give it a watch, bring a friend, bring a drink. I, I don't know. Uh, click it off if you get mad at it, because I would say if you're mad in the middle of it, you're not going to be any happier at the end of it. Um, I did not find resolution in this film. Some people may, but I did not. Uh, but it is beautifully crafted, and um, this was the same director who did, or the same production house that did a lot of other things that we've been kind of skirting around the edges, isn't it? This is the, the Possibly, same studio yeah. that did Midsummer, or maybe, okay, maybe, um, maybe it's it's the witch we were thinking of. The witch, yeah, definitely. <clears throat> the director did the witch, and. It's also a film we've not seen, but um, I've been doing some reading about this particular director or this particular production house. So I've read quite a bit of spoilery synopses and um, some of the references have trickled down through my social circles, um, particularly the line, you know, what's thou live deliciously? I hear that a lot online <laughs> and I, I didn't place it until... Yeah. I read up on the witch. I don't yeah. know that I'm going to be, that's going to be very high up on my viewing list just because if I was this frustrated over the lighthouse, it is very, very likely I will be just as frustrated over the witch. And 
I will say that this director seems to tell difficult stories that are not easily reconciled and that's valuable. Yeah. Um, so if you're, if you're in the mood for something meaty that you can chew on, that doesn't really have a clear path or a clear answer that's open to interpretation, you're in a lady or the tiger kind of mood, you might want to give this a look. Um, and just, and just go into it without feeling. I think I was wanting something flavored a little differently. And I, I, you know, you're drinking, you're drinking your drink and you expect orange juice and instead you get milk. <laughs> it's just a very different experience uh, yeah. than what you expected or uh, wanted. So that, that would be my, my take on the lighthouse. What do you, my feelings hmm. on the lighthouse are, I, I didn't quite get it. And I don't think that I was able to see it through the lens the same way the director or the actor saw it. Mm -hmm. I, it, it wasn't one that made a lot of sense to me. I, I want to be able to sit here and say that, you know, I'd still recommend you take a look at it so that you can draw your own conclusions from mm -hmm. it. Always. I, I stress that, that, you know, I don't want to sit there and say it's just crap. What I'd rather do is sit there and say, it wasn't my kind of film. Mm -hmm. I probably won't watch it again. It just, there was a lot of stuff kind of yeah. thrown in there that I, it seemed like they presented two or three good ideas, mm -hmm. but then they didn't quite follow through with them. Or if they did, they did it in a subtext way that I didn't catch. Right. And so that, that was frustrating for me. But someone else might catch all the references, might mm -hmm. catch all of this. And so I would say, see the film and please, by all means, make up your own mind. As mm -hmm. for me, myself, I didn't care for it. And it would be hard for me to recommend it to someone and say, mm -hmm. yes, I would sit down and watch this with you because this yeah. is not one that I would sit down and watch. I probably would be busy getting up the whole time and getting people popcorn or drinks or <laughs> something and just letting them watch it. And if they try to ask me mm -hmm. something, I'll have to sit there and say, don't ask me anything. You've turned away from the screen. You're going to miss something else. And it's going to make even less sense. So unfortunately, I think it's the kind of film I would have to watch a few times to understand it better. But I say this as a person who's seen Zardoz more than four times to the point where I almost think I understand it. Uh -huh. And I'm a little worried about that because if I understand Zardoz, perhaps I'm joining a cult accidentally. And I don't know if I want to invest as much time in the lighthouse. I really, I really don't. Um, like I said earlier, if I have to make this much effort and put this much work into a film, then I need an Illuminati membership or I need a paycheck because this is just a lot of time and it's not a particular mystery I want to spend this much time on. Some mysteries I will yeah. absolutely yeah. chew on for weeks and I will yeah. have a grand and fun time doing it. This just kind of made me mad. <clears throat> so I guess it's, it's just... I, it's if it's your cup of tea, it's your cup of tea. If it's not, it's exactly, definitely yeah. not. 
Um, yeah, definitely. So rent, the lighthouse is an acquired tape. Yeah, rent Excuse it, me. but rent something else too. <laughs> rent two things. Rent a backup film. Oh, and uh, if you've never seen Zardoz, um, probably don't watch it sober. <laughs> Not that I'm advocating getting smashed drunk, but maybe don't watch it sober. Uh, it's got Sean Connery in it. It probably hasn't aged well. There's a lot of very bizarre and really not. Yeah, it's probably not aged well, but it's got Sean Connery in it. And at one point he is wearing um, thigh high boots, a bandolier and what looks to be a red diaper. So that's, you know, that happened. <laughs> he got paid for that. I'm sure that you can Google the images. Oh, yes, that's true. Yes. Yes. And uh, you can draw your own interpretation for that. Yes. Tell me if you understand it, because I don't want to feel so alone. <laughs> I look at it. Tell me there's just, hope. <laughs> Connor got paid for that. Mm. He got bank. So there. <laughs> Good for him. <laughs> so it's there. It's a long film. It is a very long film. Uh, and it, it just wanders everywhere. There's three or four different sections. The aha moment in the film made me angry. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Zardoz. Yeah. All right. Watch Coco. Coco is a good film. Coco will not make you furious. It may make you cry, but it will not make you very angry. Yeah. That's, that's the takeaway. <laughs> that's here. our takeaway. Rent Coco. Yep. Watch Coco. Buy it. <laughs> Have a mug. It's good. We're coming to the end of our first half hour, and Wait. we will be right back in just a second to touch on Halloween um, and Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills. This is Couch and Coffee Table. This is Couch and Coffee Table with our second segment. We're going to be dealing mainly with the Halloween film, Halloween 2018, and we're also going to talk about Halloween Kills. If you haven't seen either one of these spoilers ahead, please turn your radio off now or any other listening device that pertains to us and the sound of our voices. Thank you. But uh, come back later when we're done, yeah? <laughs> Definitely. This is spoiler town, though. You yeah. have been warned. Yeah. Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills, I thought, set up for a very nice trilogy. Uh, for 2018, that uh, Halloween 2018, sorry, uh, it... Uh, <clears throat> Having trouble with my throat. Let me just pop in. Yeah, pop in. Pop uh, in. Collecting your, your vocal cords there. Yes. So Michael has seen, I think, every single Halloween film made. 
and I, I think you have. I, I've yes. seen many of them with you, but I'm not entirely certain I remember all of them. Um, what has been happening, if you, if you were unaware, in the in the sort of the canon of the story arc with Michael Myers, is there's the first Halloween film. It was done in 1978. 1978. And then uh, there were a lot of films after that. There was a second Halloween film where Laurie Strode is in the hospital. There's some particularly memorable and gruesome deaths in that. Continuation of the night. Yes. Mm -hmm. We have uh, a very pivotal plot point that Michael Myers is Laurie's brother, and that's why he's trying to kill her, and it goes on and on and on. And then we go... I, I don't think we do Michael Myers in outer space like we do with the Jason franchise, but no. um, we or do. Leprechaun. Leprechaun also went into space. <laughs> that I didn't know. So did Hellraiser. That doesn't surprise me. But yeah, the Leprechaun is a shock. I I have to confess I've never seen a Leprechaun film. And... The first one is really the best, and for all intents and purposes, <laughs> I never really bothered to see the other sequels on this. We may need to remedy that. But uh, back to the back to the thing. Um, what Halloween 2018 does is it does away with pretty much every film between the 1978 Halloween and itself. So we reset canon. And here's our spoiler town. Um, Michael Myers is not Laurie's brother. So the film deals with Laurie Strode, her daughter, and her granddaughter. And, uh, of course, Michael Myers. Um, I'm, I'm not going to do a plot by plot, a plot point by plot point synopsis, because I, I think I, I don't want to spoil it that much. But I, I did want to talk. We both wanted to talk about some of the themes that we're seeing in this reset this is designed to be a trilogy uh, 2018 with halloween kills and then the next film to be released is called halloween dies halloween ends halloween ends and it will be out mm -hmm. in 2022 i believe the release date is october 14th of 2022 but goodness how this is november of 2021 that's the official release mm -hmm. date as of right now. right now yeah. and that's subject to change We'll see. Yep. Um, it's actually very well crafted. There's a lot of throwbacks to the the twenty seven. I'm sorry, the 1978 film. Uh, the characterization is very very good. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis is absolutely luminous as usual. Um, the the women playing her daughter and granddaughter are wonderful. The men in the film. Um, for the 2018 film, most of the guys are jerks, <laughs> uh, but the parts are well acted. Like the actors do a very, very good job with their roles. There's no, there's no actor or actress that doesn't bring their all to the role. So it's, for me, it's a very well done film. Um, the murders are what you would expect. From a Michael Myers film, and there's a slight difference between the 2018 and the Halloween Kills that I'll talk about when we get to the second film. But it's a solid movie. 
it uh, it brings back a lot of the plot elements from the original film. It has a more satisfying weaving, and there's a really, really nice mirroring of Laurie Strode's character with some of the some of the positioning that Michael Myers was first in. Um, I'll give you one example. In high school, her granddaughter Allison is in class. Her teacher is talking about fate. Uh, so it's it's set up to be uh, the same as the scene with Laurie Strode and Laurie in the original film looks out the window and she sees Michael Myers through the school window and that's a creepy moment. In this film, Allison looks out the window and she sees her grandmother and it's a slightly creepy moment because I think no it's not it's not Laurie's first appearance on screen because she's earlier. But it's just yes. it's really well done and it is the first interaction that you see the first moment that her granddaughter Allison is looking at Laurie. It's it's the first interaction for the film for those two. Mm -hmm. That's not to say that you, you get the setup that <clears throat> Allison has been talking to Laurie for a while and talking to her grandmother and there's a lot of savvy between the two of them. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like-minded things between the two the film does deal a little bit with trauma and how trauma will will change a person and some of the reactions that they can have uh lori is a complete titan um she's incredibly capable she is combat ready and she has a very no-nonsense attitude her daughter was raised the same way and rebelled so her daughter is uh i think a, a clinical therapist in this film or maybe just a um it's not clear to me but she's she's always like okay let's talk about our feelings this is not a productive use of our time all right <laughs> she's just she seems softer and her granddaughter is um more of the cloth that Lori's cut from. Yeah. Yeah. So it's uh it's another exploration of how how trauma might have shaped Lori Stroke cuz one of the films that is no longer canon um when Lori Lori has a son in that film which which one is that? Uh, that's Halloween 7, Halloween H2O. That's a decent film, and I liked the direction that that the script writing was going in that particular film. So that's that's still one I would watch. I don't particularly remember a lot of the murders, but I do remember a lot of the characters from that film, and I really liked what they did with Laurie Strode in that film. That was a that was an interesting interpretation of her character. Um, so much so that it doesn't it didn't feel like a huge departure from what might have happened to her after the the halloween night the original and uh, neither does halloween 2018. i think it's very very solidly true to laurie strode's character as we've seen it and it's a very it's a very good representation of what she might have become after dealing with events of that night your thoughts Going into 2018, I didn't realize that it was going to be a trilogy. 
I just thought that they were doing another Halloween movie and going to see it at the movies, I took it as such. Having seen a lot of the past Halloween movies, I was curious to see what kind of storyline they would go with, what the plot was. I was pleasantly surprised with how very quickly within the first little bit, they cut away almost every, every Halloween movie past the first one from like the 1981 Halloween 2 on into Halloween 4, 5. The Curse of Michael Myers, 6, uh, 7, which was H2O, and 8, which was Halloween Resurrection. All of those are swept out the door. And they don't look back after that. But what they did present was very much... Lori is very self-aware. Lori is battle-ready. Lori has become a little bit more Michael Myers than what she might even admit because she is ready for a fight, probably more so than she might have been in 1978 whenever all these terrible things happened and she lost her friends. Absolutely. Better prepared this time around. And 40 years has passed with her dealing with all kinds of things, having her daughter, Karen, taken away from her. Uh, Most all this is touched on very early on um, by her and other characters in the film. Is there a nod to Halloween 3 somewhere in 2018, or is that coming? That happens in Halloween Kills. Okay. There is a nod to Halloween 3 Season of the Witch. There's also in Halloween Kills a nod to the Halloween 2 from 1981. They actually used footage from it. Uh, It happens, for those of you playing at home, (laughs) it happens uh, whenever Tommy is up on stage with the microphone and introducing the survivors, as it were, of Michael and gets to Lindsay and he talks about her babysitter, Annie, being killed. When you see Annie on the stretcher and the one officer reacting to it, that is from Halloween 2, 1981. So there. Um, Halloween Kills was um, about when I think you told me that they were doing a trilogy because I don't think I realized it in 2018 either. I was just like, oh, things have changed. Yeah. Okay. It was it was after I had seen Halloween 2018 that I had found out that they, they announced a trilogy. Mm-hmm. And I was looking forward to it because with the title like Halloween Ends, I'm sitting there going, okay. I got a feeling I know how they're going to end this. <laughs> but we talked about that. It's briefly. speculation. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk. We'll maybe we'll get into that. I, I yeah. kind of disagree with Michael. I don't, I don't, I don't want it to go the way he thinks it might. I don't think it's an implausible scenario, what you've proposed. Yeah. I, it bothers me for reasons. Yeah. So Halloween kills. Uh, we saw it at the drive-in uh, Starlight. 
which is here yeah. in Bloomington, uh, highly recommended by both of us. We saw Halloween 2018 the same way. Honest, mm-hmm. uh, actually, we we saw them both. Starlight Drive-in, Bloomington, Indiana. Giving a shout out to the Starlight because we have spent many many nights there. Many happy memories. Good times. Good nod to Starlight Drive-in. If you've never been, if you get the chance and you live nearby in Indiana, please do. Yeah. Indiana actually has a number of drive-ins. Uh, I'm not sure where you're yeah. listening from, but if you have the opportunity to go to a drive-in theater, do it. We are not <laughs> being paid to endorse Starlight Drive-In. I will be quick to say that. For anybody that we are saying is good or bad or whatever, mm-hmm. we are not being paid to endorse them. Now, at some point, we may have ads and plugs, but you'll definitely know the difference. Right. <laughs> But Halloween 2018 was a really good start. It was a good establishing of your major characters, your major mm-hmm. players for the trilogy. Yes. And it, like any good trilogy, the first act has got to be one to where you want to tune in for the other two acts. You want to see the rest of it. And I think 2018 established that. And for Halloween Kills... We have more of the same night, and we have a much darker film. Michael is absolutely vicious in Halloween Kills. He's he's more vicious than I have seen him in any of the previous films, I think. Yes. He's he's faster, and some of the murders are just brutal. Um I'm and I'm not talking on a, a a gory factor although there is you know buckets of stage blood um he is an efficient killer most of the time he's messy because he's he does wet work but uh i don't know he just he goes in and it's it's not surgical but it does get the job done yeah yeah, he, um, um, and he's persistent. I mean, he will finish a job once he starts. I'm thinking of a few particular murders where it, he takes a lot of time over it, but he's yeah. he's it's not. Um, oh, uh, I watched some of Hannibal with Michael the the series with. Uh, I don't know if that was a Netflix or if it was a HBO or a Hannibal series. Yeah, I just got him on <laughs> DVD. I can't remember. Gotcha where that was trying to make could have yeah. it could have been showtime i think it was nbc mm, okay. who put them out which i thought was quite a challenge yeah for a major yeah network to do a tv series with that kind of subject matter yeah. because mm. yeah hannibal was very graphic yeah and some of the some of the content um yeah hannibal is not happy days it's no, not it's uh, well you know neither is there's yeah. Halloween, but um, yeah, neither is Halloween. You know, it's it's not it's not the torture porn that I refuse to watch. It's not yeah. Uh, doesn't mindlessly objectify people and things. Um, the original Halloween film did have some nudity with the murders, uh, because it was a film done in 1978, and that was the style of the time. Um, Halloween Kills does not have anybody. Uh, being naked and vulnerable just has people being vulnerable and then getting murdered kind of a lot 
Uh, I did not, I did not make account of the kills. Um, there were some new characters introduced. Uh, Michael mentioned Tommy. So Tommy is the grown up version of the little boy in the 78 film. And I very much liked his character. I liked his characterization. I liked the development arc they had for him. Um, I liked the introduction of, you know, children of Haddonfield who had this encounter because in this canon for Halloween Kills, Michael Myers killed people on the Halloween of 1978, was taken into custody and has been in custody ever since. Yeah, yeah. So his body count in 2018, that film, which is the start of this evening that continues in Halloween Kills, his body count is only like six or seven people. Yeah. And um, that was an interesting angle to think about, especially in Halloween Kills, because by today's standards, cinema, cinematographically, that's a very low body count. Yeah. You know, Duck, yeah, Duck gets shot by Elmer Fudd six times in each of the uh, cartoons when he's... Uh, when he's with Bugs Bunny and they're doing oh, pronoun yeah. trouble. Yeah. Each of those, what are they called? There's um, rabbit seasoning. Rabbit seasoning. The yeah, yeah the yeah. You, you count it up. He gets his face yeah. blown off six times. The, no the more than six. Rabbit and duck hunting with yeah. Fudd. <clears throat> mm -hmm. The rabbit so, hunting uh, trilogy. That's that's the level of murder we've got. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. In the it's... first Halloween film, we've got six kills, six times Daffy Duck gets his beak blown off. Um, I did not count bodies in um, in uh, Halloween 2018 or Halloween Kills. I'm very much looking forward to the last installment of this particular trilogy. I don't know what they're going to do with the character after it. There are some themes that I wanted to touch on. Um, okay. There's a, there's a resurgence of Michael's hiding hiding and posing bodies. You see this in the 78 film. You see a little bit of it in 2018 film. Yeah. But you see a lot more of it in Halloween Kills. And um, the writers are making a plot point out of the mask and the mask sort of activating Michael, but not having any inherent influence on anyone itself. Yeah, and I, I'm not sure mm -hmm. if I agree or disagree with that on making the mask a character, because at that mm -hmm. point, the mask is Michael, and the actual shape, the human mm -hmm. form of Michael isn't really anything, and mm -hmm. I don't really... Well, I think if somebody else put on the mask and then became Michael, I think that would be a different thing. And they're not doing it that. Would and they? Yeah. I think they did that in like either the fourth or fifth one. Yeah. With uh, Michael's niece, whose name was Jamie, hmm. and she put on a clown outfit and killed someone at the end, and it was very much Loomis was there, and hmm. he flipped out because. Jamie had become a Myers in every sense of the word, or at least Michael Myers' mm. blood, because now she just, she didn't say anything. She was stone cold bloody and stabby. It, yeah. Uh, with the Halloween uh, three reference, the masks that are used mm -hmm. to prop the people up on the playground. 
Oh, all of those all of those masks that are used if you look at Halloween 3 season of which they're all silver shamrock masks if you're familiar oh, okay. with that film yeah i didn't catch that i just i'd read i'd read that there was a nod and i think you might have told me before yeah they're there's yeah they're they're silver shamrock that, masks that's the link. yeah that's that jingle will get stuck in your head i will not sing it yes um Another thing they're setting up is the Myers house. Yeah. There's a whole big thing about that. And yeah, that's it's interesting to me. I, I'm, I'm very curious to see how they're going to, how they're going to play this out. The, the Halloween kills. There's a lot of what makes Michael tick. Why does Michael do stabby things? What's his motivation? Um, because uh, Lori's daughter, what is her name? Karen. Karen. Yeah. Yes. Karen firmly believes uh, wherever Lori is, Michael will, will arrive and try to murder her. And that's what she's focused on. Uh, Allison does not believe that. And others agree with Allison that Michael has another agenda. And so there, there's an exploration of what that agenda might be. Uh, in the first film of this trilogy in, in Halloween 2018, there's a lot of time spent with one particular character trying to figure out Michael's motivation, what makes Michael tick. And that is a strong drive to a good part of the plot there. Um, and again, I, I won't spoil that too much, but it, that's an interesting, an interesting setup. So we've got the mask, we've got the house. Um, many times over the 1978 film, the, the 2018 film and this film uh, characters have said of Michael that he's a child. Uh, one character in this film says he's a child with the strength of a man and nothing, nothing but evil inside or nothing behind mm -hmm. his eyes. It's very poetic. Yeah. And um, the act of looking at something and what Michael sees when he looks at something is another another thing that's been set up in Halloween Kills. And I, I'm going to be very interested if that develops anywhere or if that's just going to be a thread that just was, was put into this film and is not drawn on in later films. In other words, it's a red herring. Yeah. They don't yeah. really do anything with it. They don't really go anywhere with well, it. But it's an interesting premise. They just don't follow mm -hmm. it through. Yeah to the next film like they had plans it was going to be a big deal and then something changed like we, we've seen that shift in, in films um poor rose taiko in uh the latest star wars trilogy yeah her character yeah. was absolutely obliterated because of really crappy fan backlash for no good reason because that's a good actress and her yeah. character was well done so yeah yeah, Boo on that situation. There was a wasted potential there with that character plot line. Yeah. Ger art. And I know that there has been a lot mm. of mixed criticism, a lot of negative press as far as Halloween kills, and a lot of people saying that it doesn't exactly stand up to par with the 2018. Oh, I think they're wrong. I think so too. I think that there's a lot of different things that are explored in the second one going into Halloween kills and knowing that it's the second part 
mm-hmm. of a trilogy, then I approach it the same way I would The Empire Strikes Back. The Two Towers. Exactly what I was about to say, The okay. Two Towers. No, that's okay. Uh, the Two Towers and anything that you know of that's a trilogy like that, those are just two examples of... Empire Strikes Back. Do what? Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, that's the one I said. Oh, I'm sorry. That's no, okay. Oh, I'm so sorry. But of course you said that one. What, what I mean by a lot of this is, is that just by giving out those two examples, the middle part of the trilogy is the darkest. Mm-hmm. And then in the third one, you're, you're basically just Wait. wrapping this up. Wait, people are criticizing this film for being too dark? Not so much being too dark, but um, I think you also read about the oh, killing of oh, the gay couple yeah. in it. Uh, the firefighters. The firefighters. Yeah. Uh, just, you know. You can't see me roll my eyes. I'm not sure if it's audible. <laughs> I'm certainly rolling them hard enough. Yeah, but it's it's knowing that film monster kills everyone. Calm down. <laughs> you came to see a horror movie. You you didn't come to see some some little comedy thing that lasts an hour and a half or whatever. Mm-hmm. That <laughs> this is not a rom com. <laughs> that nobody will even remotely remember in twenty years. Mm-hmm. This is this is a horror movie. Whether or not anybody will remember it in 20 years, ah, who knows? Who's to say? Who's to say? I think it's very well produced. I think it's incredibly well acted. I enjoyed the script. I didn't find too many loopholes. Um, that it's got me with so many questions. And and they're not they're not questions I'm outraged by. I'm intrigued by them. They're they're something meaty I can chew on. Yeah, um, those are all incredibly good signs, and I would actually recommend watching these two films back to back. Make a night of it. They, do a double header. They do mesh better because in doing that the other night, I didn't mean to interrupt. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, sorry, you're fine. I felt like by watching them back to back, there are things that I spotted out mm-hmm. in Halloween Kills that was a direct thread from the 2018 film. Yeah, I mean they work really well back to back. Because I think they're meant to. I, yeah. They really are meant to. And that's... The night before, I think you watched the 78 film. Yes. So if you want to do a triple header, I would, I would say that that is also a good idea. You can watch the 78 film, the 2018 film, and Halloween Kills. We're running out of time. Yeah. Um, and uh, that we'll would be, be ba- a good night. Yeah. We'll, we'll probably be back with a summation uh, for thoughts on Halloween Ends. And also talk yes. a little bit more about Halloween Kills here in a second. But yeah, I originally wanted to uh, do all three of them in one night, and then mm-hmm. I thought that would just be that would just be too much. <laughs> but at some point, yeah, I'm after Halloween ends. I want to be able to take and just mm-hmm. run all four. Yeah, and say, okay, here is. Laurie Strode and Michael Myers story. Yeah. And I think it's going to be something very strong. I think it's going to be something worth sitting down to watch. I feel like already that it has been. Yeah. There, there's been so many good things. 
done with this. Challenge bringing it home, though. They do, they do, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. For right now, we're going to wrap this up for this section of this particular episode. This is Couch and Coffee Table, and we'll be right back. This is Couch and Coffee Table. Welcome back. Uh, we're just going to wrap this up a bit with a summation of thoughts on Halloween ends and just a quick little bit about Halloween kills. I just wanted to say that I'm very happy with how Halloween 2018 and Halloween Kills was very much a love letter to the fans and that it comes off as such. They were able to sweep away a lot of stuff from all the other films and gave it more of a straight line parallel between John Carpenter's 1978 and the 2018 and Halloween Kills. I feel like that they, when I say they did simplistic writing, I mean that they, they cut away a lot of ideas that really, on the whole, a lot of them just didn't work. They didn't mesh. Clear writing. A lot, more, a lot clearer writing, yeah. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And I just wanted to say that I feel like that this this trilogy as it's shaping up to be is is for me being a lot it, it's a lot more stronger and it feels like they've captured the flavor of the original 1978 and because this is a trilogy i do realize that with halloween kills it's the darker part of the trilogy it's the middle part which if you look at empire strikes back or the two towers um there's probably a couple of other trilogies that i was thinking of that i'm blanking on right now because we're recording but usually the second part of a three-act play is the darkest mm -hmm. and then they're painted in a corner how are they going to get out of it and then in the third act they get out of it because mm -hmm. that's drama that's just how they do these sort of things uh, I feel like wrapping this up, Halloween Ends has got a lot of things that I'm speculating on. Uh, one of the things that me and Heather discussed earlier that unfortunately will not make it into this broadcast was the fact that I had mentioned an unfortunate an, an idea that was never made into a film about Laurie initially becoming Michael Myers. And we were both discussing that that very much, <clears throat> excuse me, that very much is a bad idea. And it's, it's lazy writing. Um, my specific objection was that it, in a conversation about trauma and trauma survivors, painting a picture where the trauma survivor becomes the thing that inflicted her trauma is a, is a damaging narrative. And I, I think it's lazy writing. Um, 
what Michael and I were also discussing was there seems to be a setup in Halloween Kills where Lori is laying groundwork for the possible self-sacrifice to save or redeem her family that when she dies Michael will die and yeah um, that's a storyline that I thought they may do for mm -hmm. Halloween ends is they're going to have Lori and Michael kill each other mm -hmm. and we, we talked about that briefly uh, what is frustrating about that particular form of writing is that it makes the survivor responsible for the redemption or the resolution of the thing that, that caused her trauma or the thing that brutalized her. And I have some serious issues with that particular writing trope. Um, I probably have not mentioned, but if you don't know me personally, I am a trauma survivor. And seeing some of these conversations played out in this film trilogy as we're into the second, the second mm -hmm. installment, has been really interesting and i really really like laurie's characterization she's she's a good well-rounded character um you also see this in halloween h2o which is i guess no longer canon but it's still a really good portrayal of a laurie strode variant if you'll forgive the language there um absolutely and, and of course, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis plays all of the versions of Laurie Stroh that she does beautifully. So for the third installment, I, I really want the writers to, to stretch past those particular tropes. Um, I also mentioned to Michael that I really don't want some kind of magic or curse explanation for Michael Myers. Yeah. Um, both of us enjoy John Carpenter's original idea of he's just a man and he's, yeah. he's ridiculously strong because he's a psychopath. He's, he's having a psychotic episode and uh, the script says he's durable. And that is, that is just a, a thing that he does. He murders people. And um, I, I don't, I don't want there to be, you know, a secret, a secret, Thing that he's doing. I don't want him to be uh, a devil. I don't want him to be possessed. I don't want yeah. him to be a curse. I don't want, I, I don't want any explanations of that stripe. I don't know what I want regarding why Michael Myers is a murderer. Um, in all of these films, various characters sum up the shape as he's got the mind of a child and he murders because that's what he does. He, he knows how to kill people and that's all that he does. Mm -hmm. uh, he's very strong and he's just, uh, Loomis was always saying, there's nothing but evil behind those eyes. And yeah. again, that's that's touching on the, the, the whole, what does Michael see or what is Michael looking at? So I think there's a lot of potential with those particular plot lines that a good creative writer could really resolve in a satisfying way for the fans. Um, I, there's a lot writing on the third installment of this trilogy because the first two have been setting the stage for some really interesting questions. And um, yeah, there's, there's going to be a lot mm -hmm. of things to tie up mm -hmm. things to 
take a look at, especially where do Lori and Karen and Allison go mm -hmm. from here? Uh, the way it it ended, Halloween Kills, by the mm -hmm. way, and this is spoiler alert. So spoiler town. Yeah. So just just so you know, if you've stuck with us this far, though, <laughs> you you know, spoilers. At the end of Halloween Kills, you get the impression that you don't know if Karen's going to make it or not. Yeah. You don't know. If that character does make it to the third film, by the end of the third film, if the three of them are still standing, what does that do to all three of them? How, for Lori, this is just, this is just more trauma. Mm-hmm. So she'll deal with it the same way that she probably dealt with the old trauma. But for her daughter, Karen, and her granddaughter, Allison, yeah, Allison. This, is, this is all new. This is something now that Allison has to carry. Mm -hmm. But the nice thing is that Allison will have two other people that do understand. Mm -hmm. So she doesn't have to carry the trauma alone. Yeah. But she'll still have to carry it. You see the Strode resilience in Allison through the through the 2018. She's one of the main characters so you probably know, mm -hmm. uh, and definitely one of the main characters in uh, this this latest film. And yeah. you absolutely see uh, she's she's an echo of Lori herself at that age. She's very, very much so. Yeah, determined. She's very focused. She's very uh, she excels academically. And by the end of Halloween Kills, she's she's been through a night like her grandmother, the the forty years prior. So it's going to be very interesting to see how that carries through. If uh, I think I can't remember if this is uh, we were talking about if this uh, third film would take place the same night, and you think it would? I, I think it will. I think it's going to end with the sun rising mm -hmm. we're, we're going to this trilogy takes place over the entire night of 2018. Mm -hmm. I believe that's where they're going to go with this. And it would make a lot of sense if they did. It makes for one hellish night. Mm -hmm. And by the end of it, if all three of them are still are all still standing, then mm -hmm. yeah, if there was ever a reason to drink, <laughs> If Lori ever, I, I don't think the character of Lori Strode, for me in real life, would have to justify a damn thing as far as her drinking. Now, I don't condemn nor condone drinking on that kind of scale. But in that instance, I would say that's very well justified given, yeah. you know, it's. <laughs> given the night you've had. Let's let's all have a drink. Sitting down and having nice a drink at that point, I I don't think I'd I, I'd say no to that. I'd probably you know we'll probably buy him around. Although mostly it's probably going to be let's all go to the hospital and let's all get some morphine and let's all get some surgery because yeah, strode women are not in a good way at the end of Halloween Kills. There there have been damages. Yeah, and so it'll be interesting. Yeah, see that play out. They will probably all be in hospital beds at the end of it, and very much just hoping to heal in every mm -hmm. sense. Yeah.
Yeah. Now, we've already seen a Halloween film take place entirely in a hospital as a continuation of the same night from the 78 film to the second Halloween. Yeah, the one from Halloween 2 from 81. Yeah. You. There it, are elements that worked and there are elements that didn't. There are some there are some memorable parts of that film that I actually didn't mind. Yeah. It wasn't it wasn't as close closely and carefully written as the first one. It so, allowed for mm -hmm. you to spotlight Loomis. Yeah. A little bit more, yeah. but you had a comatose Lori. Yeah. You had yeah. a comatose Which, Lori. I mean, and would be a normal human reaction. Lori is kind of indestructible herself through these movies. She's uh yeah, she's she's pretty durable. Yeah, and I think she's yeah, I think she's had to become that. I think yeah. she's had to take on some of the traits of Michael in that yeah. respect in order to keep up with him mm -hmm. and to sit there and just say, no, this far, no oh, further. further. <laughs> yeah, this far, no further. Yeah, I don't I don't know what other what other like what other asks I would have of the third film. I, I want a satisfying conclusion. I do too. I want, uh, if there's going to be a main character death, I want it to be a, a satisfying, a fitting character death. I don't want it to be, you know, Tasha Yar gets flattened by a tar monster. Yeah. I, want, I, yeah. I, want some, I don't want it to be like um, in The Shining, Dick Halloran shows up and gets an ax to the chest immediately. Um, if there's going to oh, be... Oh, in the 1980 Shining? Yeah. With Nicholson. So, yeah, and, so frustrating. Yeah, yeah. So frustrating. Really, the, book, the book treats Halloran better, but it it really does. Um, so does the miniseries. Yeah. The miniseries mm -hmm. from '97 follows. Yeah. The book a little bit more closely, even even the epilogue, mm -hmm. and it's yep. it's actually kind of nice. Yeah. But um, if if one of the steroid women does end up dying, I I want that to be a well written death. Uh, there's certainly enough supporting character fodder that you can you can have your multiple murders in a night and they got oh, creative yeah. with some of these these some of the the in this in the second halloween kills he is brutal and he's swift yeah which is uh noticeably different than um you know he's he's sort of a uh what's it called pursuit pred predation most of the time he's just yeah. always slowly walking behind you until you're exhausted and dying and screaming and then he murders you brutally but um he's he's a bit faster on his feet in home yeah. kills and it's 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 a little startling but it's well done we also in halloween kills got a lot of the characters from 78 back mm -hmm. but as soon as we got them back we began to dispatch them <laughs> tying up loose ends he pretty much yeah he is very thorough he's not very neat but he's very thorough in his work Mr. yeah Myers. uh one of the other things that uh i believe i i don't know if i mentioned it in the last one but unfortunately we had a kerfuffle with our recordings and mm. so i will mention it here uh for Halloween Kills, there are a couple of nods to the Halloween 281 in which they actually use footage, mm -hmm. I believe, from the Halloween uh, Halloween 2 1981 film in which 
you have uh, there's a scene where you see Annie and she's on the stretcher, one of the victims of Michael. And um, you see them being very distraught over her death with her being on the stretcher. That particular clip is from Halloween 2, 1981. Uh, there is a nod to Halloween 3 as well, and it's done on a playground. Michael is back to arranging again. Mm -hmm. I don't know if he thinks he's going to go back and do flower arranging or what. <laughs> uh, but only with heads. Yeah. <laughs> but he is arranging bodies on a playground, and they're all wearing silver shamrock masks. I, I missed the silver shamrock reference, but you you told me, and then I read something about it. It was an it was a nice nod. Both of us like season of the witch. Yeah. Um, season of the witch is an underrated movie. It it mm -hmm. has a very dark ending to it, and I think that's one of the reasons why it got such bad PR mm -hmm. before is that it. It's a weird film. It is a weird film, but, but I liked it. Yeah, it's again, it's a horror film. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as as I will continue to say with a lot of these, some of these, they're they're a horror film. And that's mm -hmm. just it. The ending is not to make you sad or angry. It's just one of these elements that mm -hmm. it it's a horror film and bad things are going to happen. And you mm -hmm. have to expect the ending to be something that may not be something that you would want, that the ending itself is horrible yeah. versus you went through all these horrible things and you have an, an ending that at least is cathartic yeah. up to a point to where you can sit there and go, Oh, okay. So this is the thing that they have after all of this. Yeah. We, we, this is a wrinkle I didn't think about until just now we've been talking about the possible endings for Lori as a character. And uh, we both see potential for her to actually become a Michael Myers or for her to die, sacrificing herself to save the family yeah. by them killing each other. She could take the Frodo route and, you know, Frodo destroys the ring, yada, yada. They go back to the Shire. Uh, if you're reading the book, they have to deal with the harrowing of the Shire. If you're watching the films, they don't. And, Frodo is unable to fit back into the Shire. He's just, he's been through too much. He's seen too much. He's got, uh, he's been wounded by the Morgul blade. That's never quite healed for him. <laughs> and he hangs out for a little while. I think I know where you're going with this. Yeah, and then he leaves for the Grey Havens. And so we could see a scenario where Laurie dispatches Michael or Michael gets dispatched you know, maybe all of the perforations are going to catch up with him finally. Yeah. But, um, because I, I think, I think there's a moment in Halloween kills where you do see one of his hands is bandaged because yeah. Lori shoots off some of his fingers in 2018. And normally, you know, whatever happens to Michael Myers is, is gone by the next frame. Um, it did look like he had a bandaged hand. And if we're, if we're seeing him retain damage, he's going to run out of blood eventually. Uh, so it, it could be that he gets dispatched and then Lori goes off to Cancun or wherever and has yeah a lot of tequila and yeah, just, or just decides <clears throat> to travel for a while, mm -hmm. just leaves yeah. Haddonfield, 
looks at Karen and Allison and just says, uh, bye. <laughs> you know, I'm Love out. You. <laughs> Send you a postcard. Yeah. I'll be back in to visit with you guys here and there, but I, I gotta go. I gotta yeah. travel. I want to go somewhere where nobody's heard of my name mm -hmm. or Michael Myers yeah. and to be able to sit and just be able to relax and get a bit of me back. Yeah, the Frodo conversation is, or the Frodo response to trauma is, is he can't relax. He can't, he can't rejoin life in the Shire. And I don't know that Lori is able to rejoin yeah. a relaxing life. Like her, her character is painted between these two films as an agoraphobic, somebody who lives in a compound. She's got gates and locks and security cameras and, She's very, very paranoid. She doesn't go out in public much or often. She feels vulnerable. And unfortunately, you know, she can't hop the boat to Grey Havens. So I don't know. I wouldn't want her to suicide. No, I wouldn't either. Um, but I also don't think that with everything around her, I don't think she can, she can actually go back. No. And I, I expect her yeah. not to want to stay at Haddonfield. Yeah. That, that once once she knows Michael is gone mm -hmm. and she knows without a doubt that, you know, his body is that, you know, yeah. she's burying yeah. his ashes. Yeah. She yeah. is burying his ashes next to his sister, Judith. Yeah. And I think if she's walking away, knowing that they're nothing but ash. Mm -hmm. she'll walk away for a little bit, turn around and look back mm -hmm. a couple of times just because yeah. she's always been looking over her shoulder, mm -hmm. waiting on him. And now that she doesn't have that, she's finally able to just turn, walk away and not worry about what's coming up behind her because there's nothing coming up behind her. Yeah, She's, I think she will leave Haddonfield, but I also believe that if she does, she's going to find a place out in the country or, you know, something, something nice, something safe, something for her to where she can yeah. decide the level of how much she deals with people. Mm -hmm. Someone that, you know, someplace where nobody's going to know her name. Yeah. The and opposite of cheers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Where nobody knows your name. Uh, yeah, I think I think I want I just want a good solid resolution for her and I want it to yeah. happen not in a a, a way that is a, a lazy writing trope. I want exactly, it to yeah. In a way that is not a disservice or a damaging conversation for trauma survivors. And that may seem pedantic, but um I really feel we need to demand a little bit more of our writers and especially yeah. in terms of talking about violence to women. And in talking about trauma survivor, because trauma can happen to everyone and anyone. And it may seem facetious at this moment to say, I want a solid and good representation of a trauma survivor in a horror film, but we thrive on stories. Yeah. And if we have a good story and a good example, like we brought up Lord of the Rings a couple of times, and there are many, many things in that particular body of work, but conversations about battle fatigue and trauma and PSTD are absolutely woven through them. Um, 
they're woven through the Odyssey. They're woven through the Iliad about soldiers returning home. And I'm getting way off topic and I apologize. It is the lateness of the hour for me. I'm wandering, but that's all right. I want to demand more of our writers and I want to demand more of our. Well, looks like we had some technical difficulties there with our last block. So we're just going to wrap up here. In summation, we hope that Halloween ends turns out to be really a, a good finish, a good finale, not just for Lori Strode, but for her daughter, Karen, her granddaughter, Allison, and Michael Myers as well, because yeah. they've all kind of went on an odyssey in itself. And it would be nice to see a, a grand finish, a, um, you know, a, a, a fitting end or as the Italians call a uh, vivace, if you will, uh, just something, something that you walk out just going, yeah, yeah, that is how you finish this story. Any parting thoughts or anything on your end? No, um, I, I think that pretty much sums it up. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what the next installment brings. I've got a lot of questions on my mind that I'm enjoying thinking about in the meantime. And uh, I want, <laughs> that's one of our cats. I want, uh, I want a good resolution. I want good writing. I want good character development. I want them to continue along the path they've started with these two films. Uh, it's a tall order to bring home the third installment, I think. Yes, because yes. Uh, the stakes have gotten pretty high. These two movies are good movies. Yeah, I think they are. I think so. they've gotten a lot of negative bad press uh, just because of the killing of the gay couple and uh, various other elements. But the firefighters, uh, the first responders. But it's a horror movie, people. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have that. Yeah, and that's the, really all I can say. The gay couple is not killed because they are gay. They are actually well-rounded characters. Um, they're quite they're they're quite good characters. It's well acted. They're just they're in Michael Myers's way. They're <laughs> in his old house. Anybody living in that house, regardless of the sexual preference of the mm -hmm. couple, is going to be killed. Yeah, and that's that's the math of it, right mm, there. Right, that's the math. But. In closing, I'd just like to say that when Halloween Ends comes out, more than likely we will be returning to this conversation because we will have a lot to talk about and a lot to process and talk about the overall trilogy because then it will no longer be speculation. It will be fact. It'll be, it will be truth. Halloween Ends comes out October 14th of next year as of this podcast here in November 2021. That could be subject to change because of whatever reason. I hope it doesn't. I'm looking forward to the ending of Halloween Ends. I'm looking forward to that film and seeing seeing it and seeing what they do. Much like with Heather, I've been very impressed with what they've done so far. And I feel like that they have really cleared a lot of 
old ideas out that really, really didn't either need to be there or they just, they brought in something new. They brought in something fresh. Yes. So with that, any other parting thoughts? Uh, no, no. Okay. Then I will say that I appreciate you stopping in. We both mm-hmm. do. Thanks for stopping in, Thanks. stopping by and listening in. Thanks for your patience with our technical issues this evening. Hopefully we can smooth that out in post-production, but it might get a little choppy here and there. I think the last one I stopped mid-sentence. Yeah, it'll <laughs> fix it in post, I guess. Right. <laughs> Call that. Oh, dear. Yep. But um, <laughs> on that note, we just want to say thanks for stopping by and listening in. And we hope you continue to do so. This is Michael Perry. And Heather Perry. Hoping that we hope to hear from you soon and hope that you'll keep on coming by and keep on listening. This has been Couch and Coffee Table.